0: Laura Boyle, and this week we're here to talk about polyamory and parenting. Uh, I'm here this week with Jessica Levity Daylover of the Remodeled Love podcast, who many of you may know from her social media or website. Before we get to my conversation with Jess, a couple quick pieces of housekeeping. First, my polyamory and parenting class is coming up on April 23rd. You can find information on that in the show notes as well as my Ko-Fi page, um, and on the events page of <laughs> my website. It's $15 to access that live two-hour class, plus a recording, uh, and I'm having a second Q&A time, so it won't just be running on the 23rd, but I'm also going to do a second Q&A on the 30th, after folks will hopefully have had some time to listen to that recording, so that I can try to accommodate more than one time zone and more than one sort of set of people's schedules, because I know that as parents, finding time to actually sit down and do something like a class for ourselves is not always the easiest. So the class on the 23rd is running at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and the replay, uh, or not exactly the replay, because the recording will be available for the whole week in between to anyone who purchased, but um, the second Q&A will be running on April 30th at 11.30 p.m. Eastern so that hopefully it's late enough so that folks on the West Coast will be able to come to it. And as always, we've got lots of new posts on the blog uh, and ongoing stuff coming up on uh, our different social media. You can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Ready for Polyamory, and uh, on Twitter at LauraCB88 if you want to follow. But now, with all the housekeeping out of the way, Let's get into my conversation with Jess from Remodeled Love about being a polyamorous parent. As you all know, this topic is pretty near and dear to my heart because I am a mom of two great kids, and in general, this was just a really fun conversation to have, so I hope you all enjoy it.
1: So today we're here with Jessica Levity Day Lover, who I assume all of you know (laughs) from Remodeled Love because her platform is a million times bigger than mine. So I'm pretty sure everybody was following her ages before they followed me. Hi, Jess. I'm so glad to have you here. Hi, Mama. It's
2: an honor to be here. I still don't think of my platform as that big because then I'm comparing myself to, you know, like Polyam fan and polyphilia blog. And
1: I'm like, I'm still just this big. Right. There's always somebody who we can look at and be like, the real big leagues, Yeah, totally, yeah. But so we're here today to talk about essentially being polyamorous moms because you're a couple of years behind me on this story. Your kids are still tiny, Uh, right? Your older kid is four, am I correct?
2: Yeah, so my kids just turned four and one. Yeah,
1: Uh, mine are now uh, my older child, my son Edward, is going to be eight in two weeks, which actually, given when I'm releasing this, he's going to be eight this weekend when I'm releasing this. Oh my gosh. Oh uh, my gosh. Which is unbelievable to me because he was my tiny, looked like an alien preemie eight years oh my ago. God. And now he's like a giant child who wants an anime themed birthday party. Um, oh my god. And then my daughter is going to be six this summer so she's five and in kindergarten and it's a whole world right having kids in school for me has been like a world changing situation even with the pandemic meaning that a year and a half of that was not real school it was still that i was running from home it has still been like a world changing situation compared to when they were little which is why i'm looking at you and going you're a couple years behind where i am
2: i know you posted something in the content creator group chat the other day about how much easier it gets and i literally screenshotted it and i go back to it like it's a
1: bible verse (laughs) yeah so my partner and his two co uh, his co-parents his partners who he lives with uh have kids who are like four and five years older than my kids Mm. And so for me, I've always been looking at them as that's the stage we're going to. <laughs> and so being able to go, oh, in just a couple years, I remember when their kids made that transition
2: mm-hmm.
1: has been like so unbelievably affirming for me that i mm. like be able to do that for friends.
2: That's so good to hear. I know I look forward to being the person who is like, don't worry, it gets better. (laughs) I remember somebody telling me when we were like three months postpartum and dealing with uh, a super refluxy, unhappy baby. Like somebody was like, oh, I remember things getting better around 18 months. I was like, what? That is, that time doesn't even exist in my mind it was like the worst news ever and now we're almost there and things are getting better but i really i really can't wait till both of my kids are in school
1: (laughs) yeah when each of my kids was about three months old somebody gave me a time frame like that for things being better and i think i looked at them and asked them if they wanted me to die as a response because like i could not believe that i had that kind of time scale to wait on like i'm impatient my if people are at all woo or believe in astrology like my entire chart is fire except for a gemini stellium
0: (gasps) i'm all fire and water things so like Mm -hmm. you just
1: you can't i am i either need it to be tomorrow instantly or i need to intellectualize it into the biggest plan of my life oh my god we are so same operate in So, as a polyamorous parent, this suits me pretty well, because I can either calendar life to within an inch of its existence, or I can be like, oh, nothing is predictable this week? This entire week is pooping on me? Okay, we're gonna roll with this, I'm gonna be the best at rolling with this, I'm going to win the award for rolling with this.
2: I feel that so hard. I'm also a lot of fire Sagittarius here as my son. And I have a lot of fire in my chart, uh, fire and water. And I'm also ADHD. So I don't comprehend. I don't comprehend things that are not out of sight, out of mind, including timelines that are not like tomorrow. Do you think, um, cause you were going talking about uh, like motherhood and how much we complain about it. And I was thinking, do you think all the other non-parent content creators like look at us in the chat or even like in our content and are like, wow, they complain about parenthood a
1: lot. <laughs> Have you watched Claire Polypage's TikToks? She has several that are just like, I know that all of the parents just want my life as a non-parent. Here are several TikToks about my Saturday as a non-parent and it's just her having a lion her enjoying her life, her getting her nails done, and I'm like, bitch, I do want that. No, I'm so
2: upset. I'm like, she's doing this on purpose.
1: Well, she explicitly said it. It was great. I loved it. Um, I'm like, exactly, you do you. I am really happy to have my kids, but simultaneously, I know exactly how many years until they are both grown up, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, can we, I talk about this all the time, can we please just normalize um, not regretting our kids at all and loving them to the moon and back while simultaneously dreaming of our life without them?
1: I think part of it is that our culture has this expectation, I think especially of mothers but of parents in general, that we center our entire beings around our children I had so many people ask me within the first couple years of having kids, how being a mother had changed me, and whether my entire viewpoint on life was different now that I was a mother. And I was like, no, I have some additional responsibilities, but I'm exactly the same person I was. Like, I have extra scheduling stuff to figure (sighs) out, I guess.
2: Yeah, I just have less spoons in them generally. Uh, I have less spoons, and I'm overstimulated. But other than that,
1: I don't sleep. There's more crying. <laughs> totally There's for everybody crying. My five year old is she is amazing in terms of like vocabulary and emotional awareness. But part of that is occasionally she will declare that she is a negative emotion, and then sit in a corner and performatively sob. Until Um, she's ready to feel better.
2: That is a whole ass mood. Is she a water sign? Does she have a lot of water in her chart? Okay, because that is a whole ass water. Like that's some Pisces shit right there. She
1: is an adorable Leo who is here for you to notice her feeling.
2: I'm here for it. You know what? And the fact that she can own it in that moment and not suppress it and not bury it. That's what is going to allow it to move.
1: It's wonderful. She's going to be such a more direct communicator than me. But as someone who gets overstimulated by noise, her going, mommy, I'm upset. Edward is not letting me come up with the rules of the game. I need to go feel this, going into the corner, sitting down and then scream crying for five minutes and then doing deep breathing and then going, I'm calm now and then coming back Is like the best because it means we did a great job teaching her to talk about her feelings, but it's the worst because I just had to listen to that for a solid several minutes of her scream crying.
2: You know what you have to do is you got to get her into theater.
1: Yeah, it's an absolute requirement. There is no (laughs) other way that I think either of my children is going to (laughs) function like I raised theater children by accident somehow.
2: I you don't. did. You, you raised theater children to feel their feelings and dramatically act them out. And that is exactly what is going to keep them without trauma buried deep inside of them.
1: Polyamorous parents, improving the world for the next generation.
2: Amen. Were you guys polyamorous before you came par- became parents?
1: Yes. So my parenting journey was complicated because I thought that I was going to be having kids with my ex-husband. And I'd recently met my kid's dad, who at that point we thought it was maybe going to be a summer fling, we weren't really sure, blah blah blah. I wasn't going to be having kids with anybody at that exact moment because I was starting law school. I was supposed to be taking a couple of years to focus on myself. And then my iud failed plot twist (laughs) right um and my ex-husband decided that he didn't want to be a parent and that if he wasn't the father of this baby he wasn't going to stay involved with me and that we were going to get divorced and so long story short that's how that ended six years into our relationship um and i ended up staying with my son's father for about four and a half years after that, until we ended up breaking up. He had one other partner. The three of us moved in together and raised our kids as a V. Um, We've since separated because me and my kid's dad, when you get together thinking it's gonna be a summer fling and then stay together because this kid is awesome, so we're gonna try to be awesome for him, it's not the best foundation.
2: Yeah. I love that that you tell this story because I feel like one of the things that blows so many people's minds even people who are like open to polyamory and considering it are like well what happens in the case of an accidental pregnancy and it's like well you handle it. You that you solve the problem. And when you get rid of the mononormative lens, you recognize that all you're doing is creating and forming relationships the same way you would in monogamy.
1: Right, like, look, I knew that I wanted to be a parent and that I wanted to raise this child. And regardless of sort of whose child it was, I was going to be raising this child. It was then, well, which if either of these romantic relationships is going to survive. If both did, amazing! We would then figure out how logistically we were going to make that work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Only one of them made it. The one that did connected me to a really lovely supportive V. And we then figured out all of the logistics of like coming out to the pediatrician (laughs) and like coming out to school and all of these things. And let me tell you, toddlers are a lot more cool and with it and hip than their parents
2: oh my god story of history especially when it comes to like how will you explain it to the children and it's like they don't they don't have a semiology yet right we talk a lot about semiology on our page so anything you feed them is going to make sense to
1: them right like toddlers and preschools do family days all of the time where they talk about like what does your family look like what do you guys mm-hmm. do at home blah 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 and like in my kids 20 kid pre-k class they had every setup of family that you can pretty much think of people with step parents people with single parents of each gender people with two parent homes and us so my son goes in and he goes oh well i have two moms i have mommy and i have mama and then there's daddy and so like, oh okay so the teacher like wrote us a note and was like do you want him to make two mother's day cards and that was pretty much the only pushback we ever got from a teacher like
2: that's actually great that that's all the pushback that you got because at the end of the day it's not different than a step family
1: right. at all like school administration was occasionally like a little side eye and weird like what do you mean all of you want to come to this or that event I mean, all three of us are his parents. We would like to come to these events. All three of us are her parents we will all be going.
2: Well, and literally, how is that any different than step family? If you were like, oh, we're divorced and that's his new wife. They'd be like, oh, look at you guys co-parenting. That is so wholesome. But the second you're like, oh no, we are actually all cohabitating and raising them together. And we're connected to this man through a mutual relationship. Suddenly now it's a problem.
1: Yeah, people were a lot more chill after I moved out, which is the most ridiculous. But like, they're like, oh, so now you live the next town over? That's good, good.
2: Now I'm comfortable with this. Now this isn't pushing up against something that makes me uncomfortable and I don't know why and so I just lash
1: out. It's fine. I just make them uncomfortable again with my boyfriend who lives with his two partners.
2: So what's your living situation now?
1: well so now i live with family um a couple of towns over so it's me and my parents uh, and then the kids are here half the time
2: so you are living outside of the nuclear family how is that
1: honestly it's most of the time it's fine it is occasionally a little bit weird but it's more weird from the like polyamorous context of weirdly feeling secondary in my six-year-long romantic relationship than it is Mm. in the like family parenting context Mm. because in the family parenting context when we were all living in the same house we had the good luck of living in a house that had two equally sized bedrooms to be like double masters for me and my ex meta and then our partner bounced back and forth between them until we broke up and after we broke up, I stayed living in that house for about a year before I decided that I was going to move out. Um, and so for that year, I felt like I was living outside of the family while being in the house. Mm. So it's actually a lot less lonely to be in my own space, <laughs> if that makes sense. But I feel yeah. like you guys have a lot more traditional a setup in that you are a family that lives together in a sort of apparently traditional manner and then Mm -hmm. you have other partners, but I know that recently you've had another friend, partner, I'm not sure what language you're using for him move in with you.
2: See, we haven't spilled the beans on this, you're getting the exclusive, you're breaking the story. Yeah, so uh, recently an ex of mine is going through a divorce and was essentially homeless. And so, you know, we live in 1100 square feet. Like we live in a very small home, but we had a basement that was just like a Mm playroom. It's not fancy. Um, We live, our house is 93 years old. Mm -hmm. So it is old and it needs work, but we're like, if you want to sleep down here. And so he came in and I think my favorite thing about polyamory is like, well, once you no longer need, certain boundaries. Like, well, what is anything? So people are like, is he a partner? Is he this? And it's just like, well, he has a lot of husband energy, especially because he's a He's an amazing father. He is amazing with my kids. So he has three kids Um, and he's just brilliant. He's brilliant with kids. And so when he is in the home, he is acting uh, like we call him Papa Greg. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's not uncle Greg, he's Papa Greg. And, um, he parents just like with the same authority that my husband does. Um, we snuggle like we're affectionate. <laughs> Something hilarious happened last night. He wasn't home yet. It was like ten thirty at night. I was like, In a pair of boxers with no top on and i had snuck into his fruity pebbles because i'm not supposed to have like we can't eat cereal the day lovers cannot eat cereal um so but like this man can eat whatever the hell he wants and so he's got all this junk food in our house right now and so i'm like reaching up into the cabinet and just like shoveling handfuls of fruity pebbles into my mouth again, in a pair of boxers and no top. And suddenly, of course, he walks in the door mid shoveling his cereal into my mouth with my titties out, Fruity Pebbles falling out. And he was like, this is exactly why we're married. I was like, yes, totally. So it's a very marriage type vibe. We um, aren't sexually active at this time, but I'm not with my husband either. So.
1: So it's very like queer platonic.
2: I would say very queer platonic. Yeah, for sure. Um, it has a very, like I do, I am very woo. And for me, it's all about what is the vibe of something. Mm -hmm. And the vibe is marriage. The vibe is husband, like long-term husband. Um, I think from the outside, it would look a lot like a friendship, but because there's so much co-parenting happening and house, like house caring, like taking care of the house, making dinners, buying groceries, like it's so domestic that it feels so much more like family than friend
1: to me yeah Yeah. so that domestic energy i feel like is a lot of what people end up both fielding questions about when it comes to polyamory and parenting Mm -hmm. from their friends and family and sort of wondering about as they're figuring out how they're going to embark on this right like they go well but how is this going to change what we're doing at home if we're mm-hmm. coming into this from a monogamous place and we're now trying to date and we've got kids what's that going to do for us mm-hmm. and i feel like for a lot of people mostly it just takes kind of planning right you're doing this instead of your hobby night or whatever mm-hmm. yep And for others, it ends up being that's the point of conflict, where somebody's like, and I'm going to use myself as the example, when I was with my ex and my ex Meta, we would occasionally run into conflict because they had a bunch of hobbies outside the home as well as their like dating schedule. And I had my like dating schedule and the kids. -hmm. I was the like primary parent. And so we would run into the con, the like conflict circle of how did I end up the primary parent and why?
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's super hard. We actually talk a lot about this on our page and we practice something called time banking to make sure that it's um, fair and equitable. And I've had even polyamorous people be like, that's so crass. That's so business-like, like Like you should just support each other and doing the things that you love because you care. And it's like, well, totally. But you are one bad day away from an argument where you're like, I feel like I'm the one at home with the kids all the time. Well, that's not true because I was just home with them last week while you were out blah, blah, blah with your boyfriend. Well, yeah, but that was in exchange for you going out of town last month. Which is, and it's just like, well, we could sit here and argue and gaslight each other and each sincerely believe that we're the one doing more work, or we could literally pull up the time bank and check.
1: We- right everybody is sort of predisposed to see the thing that they're putting an mm-hmm. effort towards as more like more valuable mm-hmm. than the thing somebody else did just as sort of an underlying psychological human thing. Mm-hmm. So for some people like you guys literally writing it down is what works. And mm-hmm. for other people that feels too accountant-y mm-hmm. or like whatever. And so they need a different way to like keep that vibe in hand, whether it's just saying hey, we each get this many nights a week because it's Mm -hmm. the same thing of keeping track of it. Mm -hmm. It just feels less bad to them. Mm -hmm. And like, I think those different strategies are all equally valuable, but giving numbers of nights a week only really works if you're going to do activities that are actually going to fall onto those nights or if you're going to meet up with partners who are gonna have consistent enough schedules, right? Because I know that I, especially when my kids were little, didn't have a consistent enough schedule to do that yeah because kids aren't predictable enough
2: nope yeah I think in general we the balance that we have found is we try to create a routine so my night is Tuesday night to go do my own thing and my husband's night is Thursday night and then we try to let that be like let's say for a a music metaphor, the key we're playing in. Mm -hmm. And then of course, like we can change keys if we want to improvise, if we want to like vamp to something else, but at least we have that as the foundation. And then there's permission to improvise on top of that routine. And either way Mm -hmm. we're tracking it to make sure that it's even inequitable equitable because right now my husband isn't dating anybody local. Mm-hmm. Whereas I, every Tuesday night have a date night with my boyfriend and usually stay over. And so, but in a month he's going to see his Vegas partner. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to be gone for three days and that's probably going to catch up the time bank. And so it will at a macro level end up evening out and we don't just do it for polyamory. Like if I go to dinner with my girlfriends, it gets fogged. Um, and again, not from a, it it's tit for tat. Like that's always what people critique us. Well, that sounds very tit for tat. And it's like, well, but it also prevents one of us from, from getting used or uh, from feeling used. Mm -hmm. Um, And it also prevents us from becoming martyrs. Mm -hmm. So it's like, if at any point you look down and you're like, holy shit, I am 20 hours behind free time this month. I really need to take care of myself. And I might not be dating anymore, but that doesn't mean I can't pick up a hobby to get my 20 hours back or like just go for a fucking walk. Like motherhood is so all-consuming that if it's so healthy to create something, even if you are monogamous or you're polyamorous and not dating other people, get out of the house, create a routine that gets you out so that you have some connection to yourself outside of parenthood.
1: Right. Just like, no wonder I'm feeling so tired. No wonder I'm run down and don't know what it is that I want. I haven't Mm -hmm. actually taken that afternoon for myself in this long, Mm -hmm. you know? And whether it's that you can actually take the afternoon because of someone else's schedule, or you have to do it first thing in the morning because that's when your mother in law is available, or mm-hmm. in an evening when your partner can watch the kid, like you find the time. And I hate that I'm sort of making it that women are the default parents, but in our culture, we end up being a lot of the time, I think, especially when kids are really little.
2: Mm-hmm especially if you're breastfeeding
1: yeah for at least like those first few months to a year especially mm-hmm. if you're breastfeeding
2: yeah because then literally unless you pump or your supply isn't big enough for you to pump mm-hmm. then you really are the one that has to do the feeding and it isn't a matter of like we'll just hand it over to someone else and so definitely not breastfeeding um, well, I wasn't able to breastfeed and I feel like it was a weird blessing that the universe kind of gave me the out because I don't know if I would have taken it for myself.
1: Yeah, it's um, one of those mixed things where it's like mm-hmm. if you've decided that fed is best ahead of time, having mm-hmm. that handed to you makes a real difference. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. it really did. I, it allowed me to let myself off the hook. And now I think um, having my second, I knew what to expect going in and I knew that Um, I appreciated my autonomy, that that was better for my mental health, which makes me a better human. And I feel like polyamory is better for my mental health as well. And so when a lot of people came to us when we were pregnant with our first and they were like, are you guys going to stop this polyamory shit when you finally have your baby? And I'm like, why would I stop the thing that makes me happy? Explain that to me.
1: Right. Why would we stop the things that make us feel better as people? when we're trying to like grow families and do things that require us to show up as our best selves. I'm not sure how we can like raise another generation of good humans if we're not showing up as good versions of ourselves there.
2: Well, amen. And it's a very mononormative question to ask anyway. Like the question is already biased, but in a way that the question asker doesn't realize because of compulsory monogamy, but it's like, What if i asked a monogamous person are you guys gonna try polyamory after the baby comes they'd be like what why would i do something that would like completely destroy my way of life and be super hard and upsetting and confusing Mm. it's like yeah exactly but i think that there's an upset um, when people feel that way about monogamy like polyamorous people should be okay with monogamy for themselves but also okay with polyamory whereas it's not the other way around and it's like you don't understand monogamy makes me physically uncomfortable i am not able to be myself and i am not able to flow through my life in a way that feels natural to me you think i'm just like i'm monogamous plus polyamorous or something like that like the the lens doesn't make sense to them
1: Right, they like assume that everyone must be ambiamorous and just choosing to be polyamorous at this moment as opposed to like being polyamorously oriented ever.
2: Yes. And the stigma like compulsory monogamy has us all thinking like monogamy is the main best option for everyone, no matter who you are, but then you add the identity of parent onto that and the stigma gets more intense. So society can sort of accept that some people might be polyamorous, but those people have to be the clairs of poly pages who don't have kids and they're just going around getting their nails done, taking naps. That's fine. But once you're a parent, you can no longer do that anymore. Monogamy and parenthood, those are the only way that those two things can go together.
0: Uh, So
1: I saw an amazing tweet today that brought kind of all of that to a head for me. It was specifically about, it was supposed to be about like people wearing kink stuff at Pride uh, and it was, you know, You wear that piece of jewelry that shows everyone that someone owns you all of the time. It's just there on your finger. And you don't think that's a depraved thing that we make young children look at every day? (gasps) And like, monogamy literally assumes that of course that's not. Wedding rings are the most natural thing. Everyone being monogamous is assumed, especially if you're married. What do you mean you're not getting married when you guys are having a kid? how on earth couldn't you i have a bunch of friends who are like you know also people who live here in connecticut who like got so much flack because they just never got married when they had kids and they've been living together for 15 years they've got multiple kids together now they own a house together they've done every other relationship escalator step they just don't really see the point of going and signing a marriage license they own a business together like everything they are so entangled that to some extent it's like if they didn't own the business together they wouldn't have insurance together and they probably would have gone to get married but because they do they didn't need to so they're like eh. Eh."
2: the thing that i love about that um analogy that people are making with that meme about kink is like, people would be like, well, that analogy doesn't track because kink is inherently sexual. And so that's why we're against kids seeing the jewelry. And first of all, that's not correct. Mm -hmm. And secondly, then you're like, oh, so a wedding ring doesn't, have some like symbolism of a sexual relationship and they're like no it's about love and marriage and i'm like then why do you freak out when i tell you i don't have a sexual relationship in my marriage
1: right and then why do they insist on reserving sexuality until marriage and give a marriage-like ring to teenage girls at purity dance i just i have entire numbers of things that i'm upset by that are layered into that that i'm not gonna get into because that isn't today's subject but you know
2: the mental gymnastics is frustrating and no, it really is. And like, I think that's why we're seeing such high rates of neurodivergent people in the polyamorous lifestyle, because our brains naturally more naturally look at systems and go, that doesn't make sense. Why don't we do it this way? And so we're more likely to find an error in the logic of a system and call it out.
1: Right, we can see that there's more than one possible system here, and that the underlying compulsory monogamy or compulsory heterosexuality or the layering in of all of them, the compulsory part doesn't make sense. So, how about no? How about if you stop and examine it, and then at the end of it you decide that you and your one pal want to go be monogamous? Awesome. But that doesn't make sense for me, so I'm not going to. Equally cool.
2: Yeah, there's definitely a human tendency to project one's reality as universal and objective. And I find it really bizarre because we know that the nature of nature is diversity. And so I'm like, why is it so confusing to you that the way you think of things is not the way 7 billion other people think of things like that seems like a logical conclusion to me. And yet somehow my mere existence is mind-blowing to you. And ever since my page took off Remodeled Love, I just I really live in a bubble, a non-monogamous, queer bubble, um, that I I actually forget how weird I am to people. So I knew I was weird for a while, and then I've been in this world for like a year and a half now, and then I'm like, like even right now, I'm. In a co-work space with other people who might be like, what the fuck is she talking about?
1: Yeah, so I intentionally built myself a social, non-monogamous, queer, kinky bubble to live in across my youth because I decided that that was important to me. (laughs) That I wanted to be in community with people who actually shared my values and whatever. Um, And my family of origin is not in that bubble functionally like they don't get it they think i'm super crazy um and so when i had kids and my family of origin wanted to be closer to me again that was a huge issue a huge like point of conflict and interacting with like the world outside and parenting groups and library moms and stuff was a sudden oh yeah the world really doesn't get this I can say this as matter of factly as possible and it will stop a lot of them from reacting like out of a weird sense of shame and like New England quiet. But that just sort of changes the rudeness on their face. It doesn't stop them from being like those freaking weirdos.
2: And I've lost the ability to remember why I'm weird. Like I had it for a while, like, okay, I'm weird. And I get that. I have compassion and empathy for how weird my life is. And now I've lost it. So like now I f- literally forget it. And have you thought about <clears throat> when your last kid, this is semi non-sec water, but somehow my brain went there. Have you thought about when your youngest kid is grown and gone? Tell me what your life looks like.
1: So me and my partner went on vacation last november to down east maine to like the furthest you can go and still be in the united states you can see canada and it's where his family uh spent summers when he was a kid he's like so what we do is when all of the kids are grown up we buy a giant plot of land and set up tiny houses one for each member of the polycule across like six miles of land so that we don't even have to look at each other if we don't want. But if we do want, we can spend as much or as little time together in our tiny houses as we want.
2: Why is this the universal polyamorous dream? That is so funny, except I want that now, even with our kids. And so that we can just open our doors and our kids can just the
1: kids the kids houses have to be closer to mine yep that was gonna say that's that's like yeah like if i cluster the kids in a tiny little house that's like
2: no 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 i mean now mine no i mean like while my kids are young so like i i want i want the dream now now. oh yeah yeah
1: like 10 feet from mine and then my partner's like a mile down the road like he wants (laughs) but like because his dream fully involves needing to be a mile from each of his partners Um, mine does not require that amount of distance, but his absolutely does because he's too much of an introvert for the rest of us.
2: That's so funny to me. And like, then you have to have one large common house. So like in times or chapters or phases where we actually want more closeness and we're like, okay, we cannot all have an orgy in this tiny home, you know? (laughs)
1: gotta go to the common house right there's gotta be one that's bigger and like look this super introvert decided to marry two magicians and then take up with me so like he doesn't get to be alone or not in the public eye literally ever but
2: is the two magicians thing is that a coincidence
1: no so Daniel convinced Bella that she had to become a magician he was a magician when they met And then he taught her to breathe fire and be part of the show.
2: That is the queerest shit I've ever heard.
1: (laughs) And then he got another partner who's a different magician. Her name's Meadow. She does bubble magic. And so we have three magicians in our polycule. And then Meadow's other partners are like musicians and performers. Uh, So we are... Daniel also owns some Ren Fairs. So like our polycule is just the queerest, Reniest travel around the country mess of nerds possible. Can we
2: talk? Can we talk about the community theater slash Ren Fair to Polyamory pipeline?
1: <laughs> it's accurate. Also, everyone should come to the Midsummer Fantasy Renaissance Fair in Ansonia, Connecticut this summer. We're amazing.
2: <laughs> my Always God my the bar. <laughs> I know so many polyamorous people who are super hardcore Ren Fair folks and like it just makes me laugh. I love it. It's because we live fantasy lives, really.
1: Yeah, look, we've all got a great garb closet. It's wonderful. And (laughs) look, if you come visit, I'll dress you up. That's all I'm saying.
2: See, that's my dream. Can you imagine it? If we put, like, all of the polycules together, what cool, magical world we could
1: create. The mega polycule.
2: The mega polycule from all the polycules across the globe. You know it's magical. You know it
1: is. Our polypalooza. My God, totally. None of us were cool in high school. Maybe you Not were, but a, I certainly know.
2: No, not a single one of us was cool in high school. I am coming into my prime now. If I am cool, it is yeah, now.
1: <laughs> mid-30s is when to do it. We're here. We're here for this now. Yeah. Um, but so as a like mid-30s mom attempting to date, because I know both of us are doing this, I find that like having to put out the caveats on my dating profiles, doing the like, I'm polyamorous, I'm a mom, I have bandwidth for exactly this (laughs) is a whole like speech that I do when somebody Mm -hmm. asks me on a date. I'm like, did you actually read the profile?
2: Did you actually read my
1: profile? Did you notice? Mm -hmm. Did you notice them? Please acknowledge them one by one. Mm -hmm. About half the time that gets me no longer going on that date because people have not read or did not comprehend. Mm or they did you have a question for me well so the question is it sounds like that's also been your experience do you have particular things that have been harder about dating now that you have kids that weren't earlier or that you think have changed really substantially or is it mostly just the challenges of being polyamorous
2: um you know actually my biggest struggle is my demisexuality Mm that's my biggest dating app hurdle. Uh, Because if I put it on there, then it becomes like this challenge that a lot of toxic men are like, I want to see if I can like get in your pants faster, you know. Um, But if I don't put it on there, then a lot of guys come on too strong and like end up killing what could have otherwise been a really great connection if they had just understood my needs of like, let's be friends first. And like, play a little hard to get, please. Mm -hmm. I honestly, um, haven't come up against too much of people who the mom thing is a deal breaker for them, but maybe I don't know because like, they're not matching with me. So like, I have no
1: clue. Yeah.
2: Mm -mm. And I think, um, The hardest thing is like just the unexpected flexibility that's needed and so like the paradox i find myself in is like if i'm dating a non-parent they don't get it but if i'm dating a parent then we are never going to see each other because we're always going to be rescheduling (laughs) yep
1: yeah i joke that now i only date poly dads um not because i'm not also trying to date women but because when i date women they mostly don't have kids and then they get frustrated by my schedule and then we don't make it to a second date. Um, But I mostly end up dating poly dads because they understand the like, I'm so sorry I have to reschedule because of this kid thing. But it is then the challenge of and their schedule too. I think the
2: poly dream is to have long term partners who are committed to the family unit which would actually then make my life easier yeah. because i don't need to cancel because there's three other parents who can handle this thing um and currently like all my dating has been so casual and not interested in playing that role at all so i haven't actually gotten to it's it's made my polyamorous life harder but there is a world in which it makes it easier. I'm just not there
1: yet. Right, I've seen a lot of my friends hit the point where like, you get to the point in your relationships where everyone's partners are invested in making each other's lives easier, including helping each other out with childcare and being that village and being that chosen family where even if you're not all cohabiting, you're all helping with each other's childcare and nobody's carrying quite so much of the load all at once. Mm. But for me personally, Only one of my relationships has sort of lasted to the duration where I'd expect that kind of entanglement. And it hasn't been one where we then were like, okay, and now we're going to take on parenting roles with each other's kids. Because his kids already have three parents and they very carefully define that they only want those three parents parenting their kids. And so I wasn't like, oh, well, I'm not going to help parent your kids, but I'd love it if you took that on with mine. That isn't how that worked out.
2: I know it's so frustrating and I don't even necessarily want someone to feel like they need to step in as a parent, but just someone who's interested in investing in their lives, like even like with auntie or uncle energy. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, it just feels like we're still very much operating from this mononormative nuclear place, but trying to live in this other world and it makes both worlds harder
1: yeah when you're not in either paradigm sort of fully it's Mm -hmm. a lot harder some of my Mm -hmm. friends have this really beautiful setup where um my friend his partner uh his ex who he had kids with and her partner all share a house and so they have this really beautifully set up situation and three out of the four of them are dating outside of that house because they're all polyamorous people Um, And so some of their partners are around. They're all having a beautiful sort of time with that funny kind of nested situation, even though the two people who had had the kids initially aren't involved anymore. Uh, And so when I see things like that, I'm like, oh, look at all the amazing options available to me that I don't have right now.
2: Yeah, it's really hard. And that puts us in a place. This is super honest. It puts us in a place where I end up. Feeling envy doesn't quite feel like the right word, but just like a yearning, like a sad yearning for either a a life without kids or the fully experienced polyamorous one you just described. And actually, I would prefer that one because then it's the best of all the worlds. I get the kids, and the weight isn't entirely on me but definitely stuck between worlds.
1: Yeah, I try really hard to like focus on the good of what I have now, but there are days where it's just not always as possible as I want it to be, right? Like
2: we talk about this I'm oh, sorry, to cut you off.
1: No, no, go ahead.
2: We um we have a class called polyamory and parenthood and we're getting ready to come out with a digital version of it. Um and we call these red light problems mm-hmm. and the the red light problems are things like they just suck. There's no rationalizing them. There's no like, well, if you think about it this way, or like there's no solution, like the time banking is a solution to what we would consider like a yellow light problem. Mm -hmm. They are just shitty. They're shitty. Guess what? They're shitty. And the only way I feel better about them is commiserating with other people who are not gonna judge me, who totally get it. And you're more just kind of like inactive mourning of the reality
1: yeah grief is not a process that like ends Mm -hmm. immediately you just kind of grow around it right or the situation Mm -hmm. changes and so that's sort of where we're at with some of these parenthood things is like you wait until the kids grow past that stage sometimes yep or you wait until you as a person grow past that stage and your logistics change uh and for me my polyamory hasn't looked the same any two years apart along this journey Right, in the 15 years that I've been doing this, if I mapped my relationships, they haven't looked exactly the same as a whole network at any point any two years along. Even if I've been in like the same two or three relationships, the relationships those people were in didn't look the same. So like my support network was different. And I think that has made a big difference to my sort of perspective on it because I have a very and this too shall pass kind of feeling about all of it.
2: yeah Yeah, it's transient
1: and like kids grow so fast that a lot of their problems are equally transient they just feel more important at that same moment well yeah good call is there anything in particular you'd like to share with everybody before we wrap up
2: Oh, yeah. Well, I just want to thank you for having me on. And thank you for the work you're doing. Um, you know, I because I'm ADHD, my brand is everywhere. So on Instagram, I'm Remodeled Love on TikTok. I'm Home Productions. Our website is RemodeledLove.com. On YouTube, I'm Jessica Levity. <laughs> <laughs> on Reddit, I'm I Love Stale Popcorn. Um, so just follow as much as my of my social medias as is relevant to you, dear listener. And um, actually, the most important thing you could do right now is go to remodeledlove.com and sign up for our newsletter because we're getting ready to drop some super exciting stuff that has taken us five times as long as it should have to make because children. Um, Um, but it's finally getting close to the finish line and we're really excited. And, um, you can also join our Patreon and our Patreon is such an amazing place to, um, commiserate with us, first of all. Um, and also just have access to us because the platform is too big. We genuinely want to interact with everyone who's a fan, but we can't. Um, so we have a free discord channel. You can check that out link on our website, but you can also join our Patreon, which is where we interact the most. And I'm launching a, um, polyamorous parents commiseration club. It's going to be the last week of every month on a different day. And I have a very specific format for that, uh, where each person will be giving an allotted time to commiserate. And that is share what is ever is going on in their polyamorous and parenting journey. And there's no crosstalk allowed, but there will be, you'll be allowed to nod and like wiggle your fingers. This will be on zoom as your way of saying, yep, I am know what you're talking about and this is a a tier benefit on our patreon so yeah that's all my pitch I also have a a podcast called remodeled which you can listen to
1: cool so thank you so much for joining me and for chatting with me about this and this is one of those subjects where there's a million and two things to actually say about it and you know like 45 minutes on a podcast is really not
0: so I hope everybody enjoyed uh, my conversation with Jess this week Next week's guest is actually also a polyamorous parent. uh, Dr. Jolie Hamilton is going to be on the podcast with me next week. We're going to be talking about the things that monogamous people can learn from non-monogamy and non-monogamous philosophy, but it was a fun fact to find out that she's also a mom. And coming up later this season, I am going to have a different guest on uh, to chat with me about parenthood of older children, because as you heard during the episode, both me and Jess have kids who are relatively young still, and I want to talk about the sort of different challenges of parenting teenagers and older kids while you're dating and navigating multiple relationships. So consider this episode, Polyamory and Parenting, part one, and I'll see you next week for uh, my episode on non-monogamy and what monogamous people can learn from it with Dr. Julie Hamilton. <laughs>